Hey, before I introduce our speaker this morning, good friend Randall, who's come all the way from the East Coast, we would like Kelsey Shvoka to come on up. Kelsey, you are here somewhere. Where are you? Oh, from the back. Come on down. As you're making your way up, just an update on John and Lene and little Paisley. She underwent successful surgery this week, a little bypass to fix a complication, yep, that's, that's going on, and so they're hoping that they'll be released today and back home tomorrow. So thanks for your prayers. Things are going well, but there's some strides that she still needs to make, and all the prayer that goes up sure helps. Amen? So thank you for that on their behalf. Well, we want to honor you today for everything you have been and everything that you've done in our midst. And we know it's a big move. You're heading to Montana uh, on a YWAM assignment, but more than that, on the progression of life. And uh, you came our way and came in amongst us and began to serve us and help in so many ways. And just that place of faithfulness and commitment, friendship that you displayed, we want to thank you for that. And I know one of the things that you talked about in your testimony was that you don't like to speak in public. So I'm going to hand you the microphone <laughs> and uh, share something. Our job is to stretch, right? <laughs> Come on. Think something. Yeah, think something. Yeah. Actually, that's one thing that um, God has been so faithful in is stretching me. <laughs> And, um, but also, this is just a testimony in itself that I'm not a nervous wreck up here right now. And, um, so I just want, I actually don't know what I'm going to say, but, um, I just want to thank you all for being part of my life and for being my family and for showing me what a family looks like and, um, yeah, just being part of my story. And this will always be my family. This will always be my home. And um, I will always come and visit. Great. And for some of you who don't know, I, um, I'm packing in faith. I am for sure going to be in YWAM, Montana until mid-May. But then I, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, but God does. And I am excited. And I'm not worried, which is really different for me. <laughs> But I'm like super stoked. I'm super excited for what God has in store. And I just know that whatever it is, he's, he's going to be faithful. And um, one thing that I learned while I was in Greece um, is that I just need to trust him. And no matter what, no matter what um, comes my way, whatever, doesn't matter what people um, say or circumstances or anything like that like I just need to trust him and I can hear his voice yeah. and so I just want to encourage everyone out there like if you if you're struggling and you're like God I don't know if I can hear you I just want to encourage you like you can you can yeah. hear his voice you can hear your papa's voice that um no matter what is going around around you no matter what people are saying that's contradictory to that you can hear him you know what he's saying. And so just be encouraged and just, just walk towards that. Because I, I, I didn't know what God had next. I just knew that my time was ending here. And um, 
but he knew he was messing with my plan, but that's okay, because he, know, <laughs> he knows, and I, I know that I heard him, and so, yeah, just want to encourage you all. Amen. Well, awesome. We, we can uh, attest to that, um, how many times you've overcome fear and things that you've dealt with and your inward healing process to just step up and model faith. It, it really has been something to be admired. So thanks for doing that. Let's stretch your hands out. Let's just bless her as she moves on to the next part. And Father, we do thank you for family. Thank you there is only one family in heaven and earth. And when you connect family, they're connected. And so we thank you for that. Kelsey will always feel love. She'll always feel affirmed, cared about, and connected with us. And thank you what she carries that she'll just connect us to bigger family. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your heavenly provision. That you bless her spirit, soul, and body. And thank you for directing her steps in Jesus' name. We use promise from glory to glory, from faith to faith. So we know it's bigger and better in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Bless you. We got something for you here. <laughs> Woo. All right, well, moving on to the next person that makes me cry for different reasons. Amen. But uh, we are blessed to have Randall Worley with us this morning. Yeah, come on, give it up. I'll always remember the first time I met Randall. He is part of that uh, network, or was part of the network on the, in North Carolina that we go back and visit. And uh, he was asked to speak on the evening service. And as Randall began to talk, it was one of those times where I was going from laughing to crying because the, the truth that I was hearing, there was so much freedom in it. It was just one of those marked times in my life where I felt an internal transformation. You know, different times as God's leading you, he will bring you across a new frequency. You begin to hear something that begins to resonate. And in that, in that truth, you, you begin to feel like a new sense of freedom, of direction, of that this is a path that God's opening up and leading on. And, and he was instrumental in that for me. And so to be able to remain friends and in fellowship, it's been more than just a great honor. But the fact that he could come our way and share with us this morning, it really is a delight. So could you welcome him warm-heartedly with all that we got to just say thank you, bless you, amen. Oh, Pat and Terry are some of, really, my most favorite people in the whole world. And um, yeah, absolutely. I always look forward to returning here. Uh, did you notice when we embraced, it was a little bit of an awkward moment because we weren't sure which side our heads were supposed to go to? <clears throat> did anybody notice that? Real quick, um, I got to get this done. I um, was in Pennsylvania uh, several months ago, and uh, we were staying not in a hotel, but on a large compound. And uh, when I arrived there, I noticed it was very neatly manicured and uh, was just impressed by the landscaping. And um, I, I'd just been there maybe an hour or so, and this guy came 
riding up on a four-wheeler, and um, he's dressed in camo and um, has a scruffy beard, and I realized that he was a part of, of the ministry there, so he came to greet me. Well, when he walked into the, to the house there where I was staying, um, he opened his arms to embrace me, and he kissed me on the cheek. Well, you know, I'm, I'm really secure with my masculinity, and I didn't really have any problem with that initially. And I, I know what the Scripture says, you know, about greeting one another with a holy kiss. And um, so I saw him later in the day, and he embraced me again, kissed me on the cheek. Now, this guy was the epitome of masculinity, and I began to think, well, maybe he is offended that I'm not returning the gesture. So the next day, he came over, and I'm drinking my coffee, walks in the house. He opens his arms. I open mine, and I lean in. You know where this is going, right? And as I'm leaning in, I think, well, I'm going to kiss him on the cheek to let him know that I'm okay with this. And just like you and I a moment ago, who we weren't quite sure, I wound up kissing this guy in the mouth. Uh, now, that was my first experience. Uh, all right, all seriousness aside. <laughs> Hi. Uh, I brought some of my books with me. Uh, my latest book is called Wandering and Wondering, the Process that Leads to Purpose. And um, I have been for many years of the opinion that most people don't realize that our destinies can be revealed in an instant, but the actualization of it sometimes takes years. It's not as easy as pointing the cursor of our life intention toward our destiny and downloading it. Um, and um, technology has so conditioned our thinking that it is that easy. But our purpose is in direct proportion to the process that is laid before us. Some of the chapter titles are A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. An Overnight Success Takes Years. Trusting God in Transition. What happens in the transitions? You probably heard it said that when God closes one door, he opens another. But have you discovered it can be hell in the hallway? Am I talking to the right people? So those will be available after the service. There's no pressure. Just buy all of them because I don't want to take them home. <clears throat> this morning, I want to talk to you about the spirituality of imperfection. The spirituality of imperfection. Now, I know that that may sound somewhat counterintuitive to a lot of you and maybe um, in many ways like an oxymoron, like act naturally or genuine imitation or... <laughs> exact estimate, clearly misunderstood, or taped live. The spirituality of imperfection. How is that possible? Before I go any further and read the text that I have for you, I heard a story about a woman several years ago that uh, began to realize that there was something really wrong with her. And so she goes to the doctor and they diagnosed that she had what appeared to be very possibly an inoperable tumor. So after the consult with the surgeon, he said, you know, it's a 50-50 chance. And so she decided that she was going to proceed. Well, 
as she is waiting for the date for the surgery to take place, she's really earnestly praying and pressing into God to try to get an answer. And she hears from the Lord, and the Lord speaks to her audibly and tells her that he's going to give her 15 more years. She's obviously elated when she gets um, uh, to the... um, to the surgical facility and she's being prepped. The doctor walks in and trying to reassure her. And she says, listen, it's going to be okay. God has spoken to me and told me that I'm, get, I'm getting 15 more years. And so he sort of grinned and thought, okay. She goes in, has the surgery, and she comes out and she's in recovery. She wakes up. The surgeon comes in and says, you know what? Uh, you must have heard from God because it was totally successful. She said, I knew it. She was so excited that she decided that she was going to go out and get some work done. She had some augmentations, some liposuction, lifts here and there. A lot of changes went on because she's not fully satisfied with the way she looked. And I've got 15 more years. Two weeks later, she's at an intersection, and she's T-boned in this intersection, and she dies instantly, and she appears before the Lord. And her first question, obviously, is, I thought you promised me 15 years. He said, I did, but when you had all that work done, I didn't recognize you. (laughs) In John's Gospel, chapter 5, a passage of Scripture I'm sure that um, you've read many, many times, but I think in some ways it captures the concept that I want to talk to you about. It's the healing at the pool on the Sabbath. Uh, Beginning in verse 1, it says, And there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonies. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been there, had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. And Jesus said, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Uh, This setting, to me, if you look at it very closely, uh, in this encounter is a study in contrast. Uh, This colonnade or portico that we just read about is uh, towering over people with various disabilities. And um, here Jesus encounters this uh, paraplegic. And so I told you I wanted to talk to you about the spirituality of imperfection. And again, I know that may sound somewhat paradoxical, but for me personally, I am learning more and more about the spirituality of imperfection, even though it doesn't feel very spiritual sometimes. I think being perfectly imperfect is the path to, try to, for, to find our true selves. Now, I want that just to kind of resonate in the room because a lot of us uh, act as if life is a, you know, a sexually transmitted disease. (laughs) I'm just waiting for you to hear that. 
We either treat it that way or we realize that we were born literally with the antidote to be released to the suffering people around us. I think we grow spiritually, and I know that this might challenge your theology. I think we grow spiritually much more by doing it wrong than we do by doing it right. One of the problems has, when it comes to, with, you know, to do with perfectionism is that we, um, we tend to allow ourselves to mirror what other people are perceiving about us. Uh, you're not who you think you are. You're not who other people think you are, but you think you are. Does that make sense to you? If there is anything called human perfection, it seems to emerge precisely from how we handle our imperfection, and, that, and imperfection is everywhere. It's everywhere. And so when Jesus <clears throat> comes to this man, I've always thought it interesting, this is not the only occasion when it happens, I've always found it interesting that Jesus, who is the answer, asks him a question. Is it possible that Jesus does not come into our lives to answer all of our questions as much as he comes to question our answers? Maybe he doesn't ask us questions to see what we've learned as if he doesn't already know, but maybe he asks us questions to see if we're still willing to learn. Because it's entirely possible that ignorance may be our greatest secret. And so he looks at him and he doesn't address his physical disability. Uh, If if you notice that, he asks him a question that probed even deeper into the man's psyche. Now, I think it's really clever for God to hide holiness in the way that he does so that only the humble and the earnest will find it. A perfect person ends up being one who can consciously forgive and include imperfection rather than one who thinks he or she is totally above and beyond imperfection. Are you still out there? I love what Thomas Merton has to say about the false self that most of us deal with our entire lives. I want to share this with you. Every one of us is shadowed by an illusory person, a false self. This is the man or woman that I want myself to be but who cannot exist because God doesn't know anything about him or her. And to be unknown of God is altogether too much privacy. That's why the false self is so fragile. It's inherently insecure because it's almost entirely a creation of the mind. It's a social construct. It doesn't exist except in the world of perception, which is where we live most of our lives instead of God's eternal now. When you die, what dies is your false self because it never really existed to begin with. It simply lives in your thoughts and projections. It's what you want yourself to be and what you want others to think you are It is very tied up with status symbols and reputation. Listen to this very closely. Whenever you're offended, it's usually because your self-image has not been worshipped or has been momentarily exposed. The false self will quickly react with a vengeance to any offenses against it because it has 
it, all it has is its own fragile assumptions about itself. Narcissists, which I know that there are none of them here, but you can share this with some of your narcissist friends. Narcissists have a lot of asserting and defending to do moment by moment. He goes on to say, don't waste much time defending your ego. The self, the true self is untouchable. Or as Paul puts it, it takes no offense. People who can, who can live from their true selves are genuinely happy. My false and private self is the one who wants to exist outside of the reach of God's will and outside of the reality and outside of life. And such a self cannot help but be illusion, an illusion. We're not very good at recognizing illusions, are we? Least of all the ones we cherish about ourselves. For most people in the world, there is, and I'm almost done with this part, I can tell you're enjoying it. Uh, for most of the people in the world, there is, no, there is no greater subjective reality than the false self of others, which does not even exist. It's a life devoted to the cult of this shadow, which is called a life of sin. Mm. So it's not our strength and it's not our faith and it's not our, our competence that attracts God to, uh, God to us. It is actually our weakness that makes us attractive to him. You know, that one, that one again has been very difficult for me to, uh, to process um, over, over the years. This man that we just read about, he is surrounded by a lot of intense negative energy. I'm not trying to be unkind about those who are blind and lame and all their various physical problems, but he's surrounded by negative energy. And uh, that in itself was the real problem. Most of the time, the things that we are looking at in our lives that we think are problematic, the thing that we are fixating on is not the real problem, but it's the way that we see the problem that is the real problem. And if we can change the way we see things, everything we see will begin to change. I think this is, this is what Paul was saying when he says we walk by faith and not by sight. We look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. For the things which are unseen are eternal, and the things which are seen are temporal, are always changing. Maybe the change that we want in others really is the change that has to occur in us. Now, did you notice uh, that John makes a point of saying that this man had been there for 38 years? I've read a lot of opinions as to why he noted that he'd been there for 38 years, and I don't, you know, intend on exploring all those inferences, but he'd been there longer than Jesus had been alive. 38 years he'd been in this crippling condition. And um, I think, and I'm not trying to be um, critical of the man, but I think that he had been there so long until he had allowed himself 
to develop a script and a narrative in his own head that he couldn't escape. I'm writing a book right now called The Stories We Tell Ourselves. Are you living according to a false narrative? You see, the voice that you believe is the one you hear the most, which is not those around you, and it's not the voice of God or the accuser. It's your own. Most people don't really give up on God. They give up on themselves. Because this, this false narrative is constantly running in their heads about what they're not, and what they should be. And unfortunately, when they come into a, um, a religious setting, quite often, uh, even if it is not intentional, they find themselves in this comparison mode, and they're constantly trying to do better, to get their act together, which, by the way, if you ever manage to get your act together, it's still nothing but an act. Even though you have a grace culture, you have a culture that emphasizes the unconditional, the relentless love of God, you still find yourself slipping into this mode of thinking. It's almost like an earworm. You know what an earworm is? It's a melody that you get in your head and you just can't get it out. And it just plays over and over and over and over again. And really... You know, we complicate the simple transformation is as simple as thinking another thought. By the time that you lay down tonight, you will have had somewhere between 50 and 60,000 60, different thoughts. 80% of them will be negative. Only, only 20% are positive, and tomorrow you'll recycle what you thought yesterday. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, psychoanalyze you, but uh, in the, and this is certainly way above my pay grade, but in the realm of uh, uh, this, this science of neuroplasticity, they call it, they have discovered that the way the brain works, since almost the biology of our beliefs, is that negative thoughts attach themselves to us like Velcro. And positive thoughts, when they hit us, it's like Teflon. It takes at least 15 minutes for you to really take hold of, and it take hold of you, when it comes to a positive concept. Hmm. For 38 years, this man had been replaying these tapes over and over and over and over and over and over again. So his issues were really not physical as much as he thought they were. He had learned to make excuses. Now, there may be some of you that would be, have a problem with what I'm getting ready to, to suggest, but remember he said, you know, that there's an angel that comes and stirs the waters at certain seasons, and I just never have been able to get there at the right time. I tend to think that was more superstition than it was a spiritual reality. A lot of what we have called spiritual realities are nothing but superstitions. We don't realize 
that most of our opinions are not our own, but the opinions that we have assimilated from people that are all around us. The faulty ideas that we have allowed to, like Velcro, attach themselves to us. Hmm. So when Jesus looks at him, it almost sounds like an abrupt, uncaring, indifferent response to what he had to say. Have you ever felt like that God is indifferent to you? I'll put my hand up. Yeah, there's been many times where I have interpreted his intentions toward me as being entirely indifferent because he was not responding in the way that I thought that he should. We're all guilty of wanting to manage our expectations of God. Is anybody out there? Yeah. And so, what do, what do we do here? Jesus addresses the excuses that he had allowed to take him hostage for all those years, and he tells him to do something that he was incapable of doing. Take up your bed and walk. There are so many times uh, when uh, I find God responding to me in ways and through people that are offensive to me. You know, a lot of times I don't think we, we realize who are the real teachers in our lives. You know, I have, I have you here captive for a few minutes and, uh, you know, the perception of me is that what I'm doing is teaching. Probably the real curriculum for you is not right here in this moment, but the real curriculum for you is out there dealing with people that are so, uh, how can I say it? So irritating. And you don't realize in the curriculum of life that God is actually using them to teach you something. That wisdom is everywhere. And it's coming through the most unlikely sources and the most unlikely place, places. And you wonder why God is not speaking to you. He is. What we've developed is a selective hearing. We hear what we want to hear. The person right now, and, and uh, this is going to be very encouraging to you, the person right now that is the most difficult in your life has been sent into your life to teach you. A few months ago, we were gathered uh, around the table. Our clan came together for Thanksgiving and as I'm looking at my, my sons and daughter-in-laws and my grandchildren, and I'm thinking of all the things uh, that I'm thankful for, uh, I've, I felt as if God spoke to me and he says, um, it's easy to be thankful for that. I said, okay, you've got my attention. 
Yeah, it's really easy for you to be thankful for that. He says, you really don't have to think much because it's obvious for you to be thankful for those things. So my family didn't know that this was going on, this dialogue was going on. And he began to bring up the faces of people in my life that had betrayed me, people that had stolen from me, people that had criticized me unfairly. And I'm thinking, why are you bringing up these faces? Why are they flashing before me? He said, because you should be thankful for them. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, because the person that that betrayed you the deepest and the worst really taught you not to take yourself so seriously. They also taught you about where you were looking for real acceptance. Really? The person that criticized you or even the people that uh, were responsible for being a part of a situation where there was great failure, it taught you that this was not necessarily what I wanted you to succeed at in the beginning. I know that, that you know, our minds are not wired to, to, to think in that manner, but I'm, I'm learning to be thankful for my betrayers. I'm learning to be thankful for people that do things to me that are unforgivable. What does that have to do with the spirituality of imperfection? It has everything in the world to do with it because many of these things cripple us in the same way that this man was physically crippled. They cripple us emotionally and mentally. Now, I, I know that in just sharing that idea with you that you're not going to be able to go out and practice it very well. You know, on my way out here, my, uh, my trip was not seamless by any means. It was fraught with delays, uh, a trip that should have just taken probably a total of maybe eight hours with connections turned into over 15 hours. And um, there were mechanical problems on planes, and I'm listening to people all around, you know, that are just steaming and brimming with frustration. And I'm feeling that energy. I feel like I'm by a pool. And you've, if you travel any, you know what I'm talking about. It's, it's like they, are, they feel like that they can hasten the situation by everybody crowding around the gate. I mean, I watch people that literally stood by the gate in one of my connecting cities for five hours and never sat down. I wanted to stand up on one of the chairs and say, what is the matter with you? But I could feel that energy. These people, they might as well be blind. They might as well be crippled. And that energy is trying to seep into me. I mean, it's airborne. And for a few minutes as I'm trying to get perspective on this, I'm beginning to feel it. It's beginning to infect me, not just affect me, but infect me. And I remember the words of G.K. Chesterton. I shared this with the men the other day. 
He said this. This is beautiful. He said, an inconvenience is an adventure misinterpreted. And so I began to think, you know, all right, there's an adventure here in all of this. Yeah, thank you back there. Yeah, this really is an adventure. I mean, when we landed, finally landed in Santa Barbara, I was supposed to land in Bispo, and uh, they rerouted us and, uh, you know, I landed in Santa Barbara. Uh, I could already hear because a lot of these people had been on the same connecting flights with me. And uh, we're banking in, coming in over the ocean, and you can hear the seatbelts already coming undone. And I've never heard this in 40 years, 40 years of flying all over the world. I've never heard a stewardess say this or a flight attendant say this. She said, studies have shown that if you unbuckle your seatbelt before we land, that it does not speed up our arrival. I was the only one that laughed on the whole plane. I want to pray for you because I think you need it right now. You need the prayer. I need the practice. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Go ahead and stand. Lord, your sons and daughters that are so perfectly imperfect. <laughs> um, that have allowed themselves unconsciously just to gravitate toward others who are crippled emotionally and those who are blind and lack perspective and, and they're waiting superstitiously for something supernatural to happen. Maybe that supernatural experience that they are in need of is just in them realizing that motivation, as we have always been taught it, is a myth. That motivation does not come from without, but it originates from within. Maybe, God, you are saying to them right now, it's time for you to take up what you've become comfortable with that is crippling you, that you've learned to manage. Just take up and start walking. Just start walking. Hmm. I'm so thankful that you love us too much to leave us the way we are. I'm so thankful that you turn a deaf ear to my excuses. I am so thankful that you do not respond to those things that I have already concluded are beyond being resolved. I'm thankful for that. 
I just ask right now that all of us would be would have this experience of spiritually rebooting in some way and uh, that we would begin to realize that it has never been about our faith but your faith in us that our faithlessness has never in any way caused you to waver ever ever It's not about me being able to muster something that uh, is latent inside of me as much as it is about me allowing you to be real in who you are in and through me. So, I invite every one of you to surrender because surrendering is not about what just happened in your initial conversion, but it's about learning to do it every day. Several months ago, the Lord spoke very, in almost a whispering tone inside of me when I was wrestling with myself. And he said, Randall, he said, your life here on this planet has never been about survival. It's been more about you're learning to surrender because if you continue to seek to save your life you're going to lose it but if you will be willing to lose it you will discover your true self and I pray that Lord for all of your loved ones here this morning that I can embrace it I can embrace fully who I am in all of my imperfections and know that you are perfecting me in Jesus name amen amen now uh, someone's coming yeah there you are don't you love this guy yeah he uh, was so kind to um, meet with me yesterday and the therapy that he gave me was just amazing yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, appreciate you. Thank God for Josiah. Amen. Thank God for Randall. Give him one more clap. Yeah. You know, before you guys sit down, um, as he was finishing, I just I saw this picture. So if you're comfortable, if you will put up your hands and just say, I surrender my false self. Okay, and then hug yourself. And say, I embrace my true self that I was made to be. Amen. Um, Here at Equippers Church, we never want to close a service without giving people an opportunity to come and encounter their true self that God made them to be. Where their true self has been marred by sin and by shame and by things that they have done or things that have happened to them. So with um, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and in that message you heard something that made your spirit inside want to come alive and you realize that you'd been living in a false identity, you'd been living crippled by what was going on around you and you want to hear those words from Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And you want to step into the life that God has given each and every one of us. 
if you're here and you want to do that, I just invite you to raise your hand. We're just going to pray a simple prayer. And all we're going to do is just invite the Spirit of God to come inside of us. Amen. I see you down here, back there. Amen. All it is is it's taking, amen. It, all it is it's saying, I can't be perfect, but there's a perfect God that perfectly loves me. And it's just accepting that love. It's nothing that we could have done to earn it. It's nothing we did to deserve it. It's because he is perfect love. And he has paid everything for us to come to him. So we're going to pray this all together. Because even if we've prayed it a thousand times, it's a good reminder. So just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my false self where I've tried to make it on my own, where I failed, where I've hurt myself and hurt others. And I receive your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.